set up over here. We are, and then we have, so we have, um, we're talking about weakness today, but then next week we'll be talking about words, and the week after that we'll be talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, the ultimate hope that we have in him. Um, and as always, if there are any questions, you can go to, that's down there, um, redeemerandshare.com slash ask, and that'll, you know, we'll talk about them afterwards, unless they're, um, I don't know, unless they don't make sense, or they're really weird and strange, and then we just won't even talk, we don't bring it up. Um, that's normally what uh, Christina sends to me, is really weird things just to mess with me when we're going through this. So uh, that's how it works. Right, so um, I wonder how, this is um, a situation that happens somewhat frequently. How do you feel when there's some kind of like, when there's news of some kind of political cover-up? Like some politician made some mistake, and then you find out like a year later that they use whatever power they have to cover it up. Do you feel really good inside, really good and fuzzy? Like, oh, I love my leaders. Oh, the structure isn't broken after all. Like, no, it's like this is horrible. This, the, the power that they're using that's meant to serve other people, what that is actually doing is they're serving themselves. They're using whatever power they have to serve themselves. We feel cheated, and rightly so. We feel indignant, and rightfully so. The people in power aren't being honest. Now, when someone in power has their weakness exposed, the first inclination is to cover it up. That's the first thing, the first inclination. If they don't, then they're going to lose power, and who are they if they don't have power? Now, that's true, of course, of other people. You know what I'm going to do here because I do this all the time, do it every single week. But what about us when we do that, right? When we make mistakes, our first inclination, if we're honest with ourselves, is probably to cover it up. We don't want people to see that. And whatever kind of power that we have to do so, that's what we'll do. Now, why is that? Why is that our first inclination is to cover things up like that when we make mistakes? I think, I mean, some of the reasons might be that we're afraid of what other people will think, how they'll view us. Uh, maybe another reason is that um, if, there, if there is weakness that's revealed, like we're going to feel shame about it because it shows that we're not, maybe not as good as we thought we were. We're afraid that we will lose power, whatever kind of power we might have. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why that's bad, and one of them, in living that way, of trying to cover up the, our, our weaknesses, one of the bad things about living that way is no one will ever truly know you, because you'll always be about covering yourself up. How can people see you if you're always covered up? But unlike a politician whose career might be based on gaining power, our spiritual lives are the complete opposite. Here we are. Um, if we cover our weakness up, then we lose power. That's how it works in the spiritual world. If we cover our weakness, we lose power. We don't actually get the thing we want. It's only when we reveal our weakness that we gain something. That's what Paul's teaching us here. We're going to get into it. And when we reveal something, we get something even better than power, even better what power can offer. We gain life. We gain new life within us. So the status quo, which is something that we should not strive to live in, the status quo is weakness, leads to shame, leads to covering it up, which ultimately does lead to loneliness. I don't want to live here. And so in order to do that, we have to fight against it. We have to not act that way. And Paul teaches us how to kind of live, how to live that way that's a bit, a bit different. Now, this whole series, we're calling Church Near Me because that's the number one Google term when someone's searching for the church. So the question is, like, what are people searching for when they search for a church? There's loads of questions, I think, here. And, and what I'm hoping that people will find is that a church is a group of people who don't use their power to cover up weakness, but use their power to reveal it and see Jesus through it. Now, this is only possible for us 
if Jesus is in our life. If Jesus is in your life, we can honestly embrace our weakness and let it not rule our lives. In fact, for the Christian, weakness is not something to be avoided, but it becomes an opportunity to reveal our new wholeness through him. Through weakness, we experience Jesus and our new wholeness in ways that we don't do otherwise. When we're busy covering up our weaknesses, we're not going to experience God in the same way as if we're actually okay with it. So I get this is a very difficult thing to do. Nobody here is, is great or perfect at it, of course. And basically, all of life has programmed you to live opposite that. All of life tells you you need to like, make sure you're strong and present a strong face, and you know, your Facebook page has to be amazing, and your Instagram little like, line has to be something cool, and all the other kind of stuff. You have to basically present yourself as being awesome all the time. But we know no one's like that. Yet we still, there's a reason why we're kind of drawn to be like that. But the radical way of following Jesus means if we don't reveal our weakness, we miss out on God. So we're going to look at why we're weak, uh, and look at a little bit of the reality of our own weakness, um, and we'll kind of pause a bit to ask, why is revealing weakness such a difficult thing for us? And then we'll learn about how death brings life. And again, if you have any questions, definitely put them in there, um, and we will get to them after the sermon. Whether or not they're answered well, that'll be up to you, but well, at least we'll get to there anyway. So why are we weak is the first question we're going to ask. Why are we weak? What's the purpose in that? Because we are, right? We know we're weak. And we all have different kinds of weaknesses in different kinds of places. Um, last week, we talked about this new purpose that God gives us. Uh, handed from heaven to earth out of God's mercy, this amazing gift is kind of huge, like, like, like uh, universe kind of metaphors being used here. And this treasure, as Paul puts it, this treasure is in, is in jars of clay. Jars of clay is a very kind of ordinary thing. It's not super fancy on the outside. It's meant to be broken so you can get to the stuff inside. A jar of clay is a common container. Now, when you have a treasure like an, an all-surpassing grift, as I said, we don't, you don't normally wouldn't put that in kind of like a thinking, something that's easily broken. You contain it in a way that fits the treasure. We have um, some friends who are uh, much better off than we are who have two Banksies, two original Banksies. One of them I think they have in their house, but the other one is um, at Sotheby's, like in London. Like it's protected because it's so expensive or whatever. So they bought it for a lot of money, but then it's worth like even more now. But that's what you do if you have something really precious. You protect it. You do the right thing to protect it. You insure it. You pay monthly to insure it and all that kind of stuff. Now, why put an expensive work, in art, of work of art in an everyday container, especially one that's built to break? Well, we're told why in verse 7. So if, you're, if you look at me there in verse 7, we're told in the second part of the verse. So we have this treasure, and this is the, what we talked about last week is the treasure, in jars of clay, this breakable thing for this reason to show that this all-surpassing power that we have is from God and not from us. That's one reason why we're weak, is to show that this power we have, this treasure we have, isn't come from us, doesn't originate or emanate from us. The reason this treasure isn't something that breaks, or at least one of them anyway, is so that we won't be full of ourselves. Can you imagine if something amazing like this actually did come from us? How are we going to act? We will be completely full of ourselves. Give us the opportunity. We'll be full of ourselves. But when we recognize that it's actually God who's given us, that means we're, we, don't, we aren't full of ourselves. We get to be full of God, and that's much better than us. So there's no room for pride. We're required to be humble. In fact, for the Christian, humility isn't an option. It's a state of being. That's what it, for the Christian. We have an all-surpassing power from God, not from us. Our weakness is there to reveal exactly that. That's one of the reasons why our weakness is there. We are weak so we can better reveal where our power comes from. 
So that means not revealing weakness inevitably means going against this truth that we're having here in verse 7. And it means whether we want to or not, putting ourselves on a pedestal where we really don't belong, if we're honest. We've been given a gift of a new life in Jesus. So gift doesn't originate with the one receiving it. If you think about the definition of what a gift is, if you receive a gift, you didn't do anything to buy that gift. You didn't go out. You didn't think about it. You didn't like wrap it up all nice and give it to somebody. Um, you're, the only thing you bring when someone gives you a gift, the only thing you bring to that transaction is your need or your lack. You didn't have a gift, and now you have one. So how ridiculous for someone to receive a gift only to feel like really proud that they gave the gift. That doesn't make any sense, and that's how we act when we're full of ourselves. See, gratitude ought to be the proper response in our lives, not pride. So when we go through our lives always covering up our weakness, we're not really being our true selves. We're being something else, somebody else. And as we cover that up, the reality of this gift that we just read about here and and the giver, the one who gives it, all that gets covered up as well. And one of the reasons for our weakness is not to be filled with ourselves, but be filled with God. I mean, again, think, anytime we humans get any kind of power, what do we do with it? We're not really great. There's the, that saying from Lord Acton, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, then how do we kind of undo that? The antidote to that, the antidote to absolute corruption is embracing weakness, which is really just kind of being honest with who we are. And that's what we get to be as Christians. So that's one, at least one reason why we're weak. There are lots of other reasons, but this is what we're getting to in these verses today. Um, now, where Paul goes next is he kind of teaches us a little bit about what our weakness is like, the reality of our weakness. So we get the jars of clay, something that breaks, that's a breakable thing. Um, Paul spends these next two verses, verses 8 and 9, kind of talking about exactly what our weakness looks like. Basically how bad it is, but also what it's not, like what it is and what it's not. So he, basically Paul is saying, things are bad in your lives. Yes, let's be honest with that, spiritually speaking, especially in this situation, people are killing Christians possibly, and that's not our life. But there's ostracism we can experience, there's you know, um, loneliness, all sorts of stuff. Um, but he's saying things are bad, but they're not the worst. They're bad, but not the worst. Kind of like I found some really fun other stories that are bad, but not worst. So bad is, you remember during the pandemic, having to work from home? I don't think I knew anybody that absolutely loved it, especially if you have kids, especially if you are living with other people who are working from home again, like who's stealing all the Wi-Fi, like, oh, I need to get on a video call, now it's all choppy, and now, oh no, it's weird, I just saw my bosses, you know, don't want to see any part of his life that I didn't want to see. So the pandemic, working from home, not so great, um, but what's worse, that's bad, what's worse is doing all that, then having a bird fly through your window, poo on your laptop just before dying on that same laptop. That's worse. Here's another one. I have loads. We won't go through all of them. <laughs> so here's, uh, so you wake up in the morning. This is the bad version. You wake up in the morning. You see someone's hit your car. Ugh. Oh, but they left a note. Okay. Well, at least maybe, you know, the insurance will sort it out. So you go down and you read the note. It says, I hit your car, but I'm pretending to write my info because people are watching me. Hope you can fix it. <laughs> and then good luck. <laughs> good luck. Like that is the worst, like, passive aggressive good luck you could possibly give. So bad having your car hit. Worse not having insurance kind of there to, to help out with you. And that's happened to me before. Someone's backed up into our car. We had to replace the door. So uh, bad, going through a breakup. No one wants to have a conversation with another person when you're breaking up. That's horrible. It's difficult. And yet there's worse versions of it. I broke up with my girlfriend at a restaurant. She started crying. Everyone thought I proposed. So they all started clapping. <laughs> that's not the best situation. <laughs> that's when you can never go back to that restaurant or that city ever again. 
So for believers, things are going to be bad, but they're not the worst. We, we have a foundation that removes us from always experiencing the worst. See, the Bible is realist. He's, it, Paul says we are hard-pressed. Like, let's just be honest. We are hard-pressed, but we're not completely crushed. We are perplexed. We don't understand why things happen in the way this world that it does, but that doesn't drive us to despair. We are persecuted, yes, but even as we're persecuted, we're not left alone, we're not abandoned. We are struck down. Lots of things keep us down and grind us down, but we're not completely destroyed. So things can be bad, and they will be bad. We should be honest with those and talk about them, but they will never be the worst. Without Jesus, we will be crushed, plunged into despair, abandoned and destroyed in this life and the next. It will be the worst. So every time we try and run away from him, that's what we're running away from. But because we have Jesus in our life, even in our weakness, it will get bad at times, but it won't be the worst. See, Jesus on the cross has put death to death. There's a book that um, nobody reads but because it's really hard and difficult to understand, but it's a fantastic title, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. And it's kind of like, if you're really cool, you have that on your coffee table. If you're like, ooh, that's what he kind of reads in the spare time. But no one really reads it. They just read the introduction by a guy called J.I. Packer. But no one reads the actual book because it's very difficult to understand. It's a fantastic book, I think. I think I understood it. But that even just all you need is a title. The death of death and the death of Christ. That's what Jesus did in his death. Being crushed, put to death. Our despair, put to death. Being abandoned, put to death. Being destroyed, all that's been put to death. Jesus has crushed being crushed in our despair. He has destroyed us being abandoned and our destruction. This is such a huge part of the gospel. The good news that we say we live by, that means if we follow Jesus, wherever we go, whatever we do, Though it will, it will not be the worst. It could be bad. It could be really bad, but it will not be the worst because the resurrected Jesus has already taken the worst by the neck and he killed it. He put it down in the grave. Knowing that the worst won't be on us, just knowing that, that the worst will never actually be on us, can free us to talk about, ought to free us to talk about our weaknesses. There are topics worth talking about, and if it doesn't happen in the church, where is this going to happen? If we can't do it, like what hope could we have of people sharing their weaknesses together? Talking about the reality of our weakness and the reality of what Jesus has done. Now, I get that this is difficult. Um, so let's just maybe briefly talk about, like, why is this such a difficult thing? This is not like a, when you meet someone for the first time, this isn't like a, you don't share your weaknesses and stuff. And maybe if you do, you're like, this is really awkward, strange. I don't know about this person. Um, revealing weakness is generally not our first instinct because we're trying to protect ourselves. Because when we've probably have had histories in the past where when we have revealed our weakness, someone's taken advantage of it and destroyed it. I totally get that. But living a life in a cast is not a way to freely move about. So it's not a first instinct of ours. Everything we learn in this world tells you to protect yourself. Like maybe there are lies that you grew up that your family kind of um, that has said or, or lived out and this kind of stuck with you. Like we don't talk about weakness. Or weakness is shameful, so we just kind of skirt over that. Or the other side of having an identity of weakness. If, you, if you're all about it, like that's all I am as a weak person. I can't like bring anything to the table. So we can sometimes downplay our weakness. We do that when we aren't honest with our own pain. We only can present the, the stiff upper lip, and it's when we say it, it's, that's when we say it can be worse in a way to kind of wipe away the pain that you actually feel. But that's not a good thing either. Of course it can be worse, it can always be worse, but just because that's true does not negate the reality of the difficulty you're in now. 
so we can downplay it, but we can also be more dramatic with our weakness. We think every trial is the worst thing ever. When we go through the thing, these difficult things, the world has to revolve around us. So we think we're crushed, but it's really just, we're just hard-pressed. We do something maybe that we shouldn't have. We experience the consequences of that thing, and then we complain to God, like, why, God, why? It's like, well, you did the thing that caused that thing to happen, but why, God? And I wonder which one maybe you're more prone to go towards, downplaying weakness or being overdramatic with it. Family systems are set up around this. When it comes to our weakness, we either overcompensate or we run away. We overcompensate through talking about our accomplishments, by giving ourselves big ups, by showing the world that we have it all together. And we use comparisons to make ourselves look better than what we are or even hope to be. But we can also run away and let weakness run our life for us. When that happens, we let weakness make our our decisions. We let weakness kind of lead us along in this life. It's weakness is in control. So we either kind of play the victim, the martyr, and we end up truly not really giving ourselves anything and we just get to stay lazy. So both versions of this are quite narcissistic. Now some, the, the big upping yourself is obviously narcissistic, but the one of like just being our weakness, that's also narcissistic. It's a similar thing. And of course, in our hearts, And in different situations, we're both of those things. And both reactions, they miss out on Jesus. I think for all of us, regardless of if we downplay it or uh, over-dramatize it, I think we all fear being crushed, we all fear despair, we all fear abandonment and destruction so much that we don't venture enough to those places to even be hard-pressed. Like we're so afraid of it being impossible that um, what we're actually called to that might be difficult we're back here or maybe really like back here like here's the comfortable area and if I go here I might feel a little bit discomfort and if I go here this is impossible I can't even think about it and since if we live that way that means you will never actually really experience suffering the way that Paul is talking about it and then we mistake being hard-pressed for being crushed and we mistake small things for much bigger things does that make sense if you haven't really experienced like those difficulties in life that God might be calling you into, when you experience difficulty, because you will, everybody will, we all will, you'll mistake that for something worse than what it is. But as Christians, we need not fear being crushed, we need not fear being in despair, we need not fear being abandoned or being or destroyed, because Jesus has already taken all that from us. We will not experience that. He has crushed being crushed. And the more that we get that, that's, that's the gospel. The more that we get that gospel, the more we will be free to risk and go boldly into something that just might possibly lead to suffering. And when that suffering comes, and it will, we will also be better equipped to go through it. So that's what it means when someone says, like, living out the gospel. This is one small area of what it means to live out the gospel. If you believe that Jesus has destroyed death and all his little deaths in this world and in the next world, that frees you up to be able to live in a way you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And this is not something you can do yourself. We need people speaking this truth into our lives all the time. If you aren't regularly sharing your weakness with other people, and just an asterisk on that we'll talk about in a second, if you aren't regularly kind of sharing your fears, you will downplay them or you'll be more dramatic and you will live out your life with fear. Now, this said, there are people who are going to be safe for you and who you can be honest with and people who you're going to feel like maybe this person isn't safe. I think we should, you should definitely trust your gut on that um, don't just go to anybody and everybody and just talk about all the deep, dark weaknesses and difficulties that you have. You have to, there should be somebody that you trust. And hopefully you have those people in your missional communities or in your life in some way. And if you don't, um, talk to me, and I, I would love to help you out with that. 
Here's the thing, though. I think we just, we really so badly need other people speaking God's words into our lives because we're so prone to forget it. We're so prone to live by the circumstances of our life. We need to be aligned rightly. Otherwise, all those burdens and all those fears are on our back and we end up walking around crooked with a stooped back. Revealing our weakness is difficult because we overdramatize it or downplay it. And then in our response, uh, we either overcompensate or run away or we do all those things. And we aren't really given very many tools in life to navigate this, are we? We're just kind of, I think, expected to figure it out. But surely your experience and people in your life's experience, my experience of people going through this world, nobody really figures this out well on their own. And this is why the church exists, one of the reasons. The church is a helpful tool for this, to help people walk through this. So let's talk about being hard-pressed, but remember that we're not crushed, and you'll need other people for that. Let's talk about being perplexed, how this world just completely confounds you. Why in the world does this happen? But realize that we don't need to go to despair with that, and we need other people in our lives for that. Let's talk about being persecuted, but in the reality of never being abandoned by Jesus. And let's talk about being struck down, but glory in the fact that we will never be destroyed. And in all those things, we need other people talking to us and people we're speaking to about that. So let's see Jesus through that in our life, in our weakness, and If we do that, we can also act as if it's true. That's the good thing. We get to act and live this out as if it's true. All right, we talked briefly about maybe why we're weak, um, about why revealing um, weakness is difficult. Um, But how does our weakness really reveal Jesus? Because it kind of doesn't make much sense, especially, um, well, let me just read verses uh, 10, verse 10, because this is almost like, I'm not sure what this means. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That sounds like it doesn't make any sense. We always carry around death so that life may be there? Like, what's the deal with that? Well, in Christianity, there is this massive theme that comes up over and over and over again. That death brings life. That's the story of the Bible, really, from Genesis to Revelation. But it's also true of the kind of little stories in our lives, the little deaths that we experience in our world, in the present so, and actually, I'm just going to read verses 11 and 12 while we're at it. We're going to look at 10 through 12 here. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We carry around death so that life may be revealed. It's kind of it's like the big point that God, Paul's trying to make here. And there's something about the little deaths in our life that reveal life in some way. The weakness we experience, our, our neediness, trials, suffering, even consequences for our own sin, they all have, they all have the opportunity to bring out the life of Christ. That's kind of crazy. They, those things are what have the opportunity to bring out the life of Christ. Those things that I'm afraid of revealing, those things that I try and run away from, those things that I try and like forget and not think about, those things are the opportunities to reveal the life of Jesus. So will we take that opportunity? We only can if we're revealing that weakness. Let's um, walk through uh, these verses here and just kind of see what's going on because the logic is, is a little bit maybe difficult to get. So we who are alive, uh, this is verse 11. We who are alive is our Christian, people who have new life in Jesus, are always being given over to death. So not just every now and then, not just like maybe there might be a difficult time in your future, but like in a state of being given over to death. This is just kind of our life. People who are Christians, this is part of your life. And this is for Jesus' sake. So our story, even our difficult stories, is not a story about us. It's about him. 
It's about Jesus and what he's doing. And then we get the reason. Get, we, get, we get the purpose. So that word, so that, is like a re- If you ever read that in the Bible, nine times out of ten, and what that's saying is, here's going to be a reason for all the stuff you just read. So what's the reason for that? So that we will be given a purpose for our state of weakness. His life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies, so that Jesus' life will be revealed through us. The immortal revealed through the mortal. The perfect revealed through the imperfect. The strong revealed through the weak. And then Paul says, so then, death is at work in us. This is Paul talking about himself and his own ministry team as he's talking to the church at Corinth. So death is at work in us, this like pastoral ministry team. Um, but life is at work in you, the church at Corinth. So Paul's weakness and suffering means that those he, uh, that means life for those that he's caring for and those who he seek to minister to. As just two takeaways here. There's loads of other ones, but we're, uh, we will limit ourselves here. Uh, two takeaways here. One, we will all experience weakness, but through Jesus, it can be transformed into something more. We will all experience weakness, but through Jesus, it will be transformed into something more because death brings life. We are given over to death for a reason so that life will be revealed. We all experience weakness, <coughs> So let's not waste our weakness. Let's let our weakness do its thing so that we can experience life. If we keep our weakness hidden or we try and flee from it, we're going to waste our weakness and we won't be able to do what this verse is talking about. We're going to miss out on Jesus revealing his life through us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is your weakness isn't just about you. It's not just about you. It's about Jesus and it's about other people. Because it's about Jesus, it's also about other people. Because we're given over to death, not for our sake. Paul says for Jesus' sake. So the first point is that, we remember, we will be filled with God and not with ourselves. So all that we're going is, is for Jesus' sake. So your weakness isn't about you, it's about Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, that means it's also about other people, because that's what Jesus is about. And Paul went through some difficult suffering himself. He talks about it in the first chapter. In fact, he says, um, he says we despaired him and his like, ministry team. This is Paul, like the rock star apostle, like, you know, demon killer, church planter, like professional dude, all the extra, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that Paul is. He said he despaired of life itself. He's just, he just told us we'll, we'll never be in despair, but Paul experienced that feeling of despair. He went through a suffering that was so difficult and challenging that he despaired of life itself. But what is he, why is he doing, why is he talking about it? He's bringing it up so that the church there at Corinth would be strengthened. So even the most difficult, some of the most difficult things that Paul went through he w- went through them in order that other people would have life as well. I mean, surely you've had experiences where you've despaired of life itself. Like, this can't get any worse. This is, like, this is, this is horrible. This is, the, this is the deepest pit I've been in. And if you're young, there's probably more to experience. So lucky you. Yeah, this is one of those uplifting messages. You will experience those difficult things. But even when you despair of life itself, there is a purpose in it. And it's not just for you, it's for Jesus' sake and for other people. And this is also maybe, I said there were two points, isn't a freebie third one. This is how leaders have to lead. They lead out of weakness. This is Paul, who should be big upping himself. He's the apostle, capital A. I met the resurrected Jesus on the road. I'm writing most of the New Testament. But no, he's saying I'm weak. I just spared of life itself. So it's not like Paul doesn't know what it's like. He does. But Paul didn't waste his weakness. Death at work in Paul meant life at work for those in Corinth because death brings life. Now, we're not told exactly how that gets worked out and, and how that worked out for Paul and the church there. But in these verses here, we've been gleaning the principles of how to do that. Sharing your weakness is ironically a sign of strength. Sharing your, uh, not, not in yourself 
of course, but in the Lord. Only people who are confident in Jesus can really be open with their weaknesses. So maybe that's a sign for you. How open you are with your own weakness towards other people tells you how much you really get what Jesus has done in your life. How are you telling the story of walking in your weakness? Is it about you or is it about Jesus meeting you when you need it, even when you despair of life itself? And are you using that to build other people up? Now, sometimes we wrongly see Christianity as a cure-all for all of our suffering and our weakness, and it's just not. It's just not that. Christianity is the best thing in the world, but it's not going to solve all your problems just like that. One of my favorite writers, Henri Nouwen, oh, here's the book, um, proof that I read a book, a real actual physical book in the world. Um, one of my favorite writers, Henri Nouwen, wrote uh, this. In fact, it's a bit of a longer quote, so I'll put it on the, some of this on the screen here. You probably can't read that, it's so small now. Anyway, I promise you it says this. The Christian way of life does not take away our loneliness, it protects and cherishes it as a precious gift. Sometimes it seems as if we do everything possible to avoid the painful confrontation with our basic human loneliness and allow ourselves to be trapped by false gods promise immediate satisfaction and quick relief. But perhaps the painful awareness of loneliness is an invitation to transcend our limitations and look beyond the boundaries of our own existence. The awareness of loneliness might be a gift we must protect and guard because, and this is now in reading Paul here, because our loneliness reveals to us an inner emptiness that can be destructive and misunderstood, but filled with promise for him who can tolerate its sweet pain. He goes on in, in this book to talk about how the church then therefore ought to be a healing community. Not because we get bandaged up and we're back to like 100% immediately, but because, as he writes, because wounds and pains become openings or occasions for a new vision. You all experience loneliness. Everyone does. Could there be opportunities for something more? And when we talk to each other about the difficulties, about our weaknesses, especially with respect to loneliness, this happens. Mutual confession then becomes a mutual deepening of hope. And sharing weakness becomes a reminder to one and all of the coming strength. So let's not waste our weakness. Now, this is something that doesn't happen really well on Sundays during worship. We don't really have kind of, that, this is it's not, not the context for that. To get deep into each other's stories requires more focused time and energy from those sharing and from people listening. And this is one thing we do in missional communities and smaller core groups or even just kind of getting coffee with each other. Now, if you aren't in an MC, uh, talk to me. We'd love to sort that out. Nobody should go through life alone because we're all gonna, we all have these weaknesses that if we aren't sharing them and revealing them, we're missing out on opportunities to see Jesus work in ways that we wouldn't see otherwise. Let's not miss the opportunity to reveal Christ in our stories. And really, the way of Jesus is to embrace weakness. That's what he's done in the Bible in his own life. We do this only because he did this. Jesus, the most powerful being to walk the earth, how does he come across? He comes across quite weak. When Jesus was presented with death, something he could have avoided if he wanted to, he embraced that opportunity. All-powerful God dying at the hands of corrupt men to slowly suffocate on a roughly hewn cross outside of a city. Look, because Jesus took the opportunity of embracing weakness and dying, that means whatever we face in our life, with him, he, he can handle it. There is no place he has not been. There is no place he can't go. There's no weakness he hasn't taken up. There's no shame he hasn't destroyed. And when we go to Christ in our weakness, what we get is to experience his wholeness. And ironically, that's the reason why we try and cover up our weaknesses. We want to feel whole, and we feel like revealing it's going to not give us that wholeness. But revealing it actually leads to it. 
Because Jesus died and rose again, death can bring life. Jesus' death on the cross brings life for those who have faith in him. Jesus' resurrection from the dead brings life for those who have faith in him. If you want to know life, this kind of life, we must be acquainted with our death. Jesus in our life means Jesus in our weakness. And the great news is that it means all of this, all of this, and all of this that we're doing here is made up, is meant for regular, messed up human beings. We're all kind of stumbling forward towards faith together. People who don't have what it takes, who aren't good enough, who are racked by shame. All of this is for needy and weak people. So there might be parts of your life that you have all together. There might be. That's great. But I guarantee you there are more parts that aren't. Jesus wants it all. He wants the good parts, the bad parts, the ugly parts, and all the ones in between. Because he has a new life to give to you, your whole life. And if you follow him, you get it. So let's have it. Let's not hold it back by not letting the cracks show. Jesus in our life means Jesus in our weakness. He's taken our worst, he's taken the death that we deserve, and through his death has transformed it into new life from him. And this is what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup, a symbol of Christ's death that brings life. I mean, if you think about it, death bringing life is kind of encapsulized in this act of worship, in the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup represent Jesus' body and blood. And this is why it's important for people who are believers to worship this way. And we don't want anyone doing something with their actions that they don't actually believe in their heart. So if you don't follow Jesus, this isn't something for you. Also, uh, when we take this, what we're doing is we're celebrating the unity we have with each other as the church. So if you have an unresolved issue with somebody or some kind of conflict or something, don't take this now. Resolve it, and next week, take with us again. So if you believe in Jesus, this is an invitation for you. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus before, but want to, this is an invitation as well. Let's all worship the Lord in our weakness together. In a moment, we're going to sing some songs. As we sing, um, take the bread and the cup on your own as we sing all together. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, which is just the previous book, uh, Paul gives uh, kind of instructions and kind of frames the um, Lord's Supper for us. This is 11... 23 and following. I'm just going to read some verses here. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So this is like, basically what we're doing is we're continuing this tradition that the apostles um, gave that uh, came from Jesus. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in our bodies, we hold death until he comes and we use for his new life that's supposed to show us uh, what it's like when he comes. And as we eat and drink, we get to proclaim his death in a new way until he comes. Let me pray.